Okay, so a big welcome, a big hello to everybody who's joining us. Um, first question that we've already received is, will this webinar be saved and viewable after? Yes, it will. This will be saved, it will be available on YouTube, and you will also be able to hear the audio on podcast. Um, our podcast series is called The Talking Giraffe. So hi, I am Jenny Stanley, founder and managing director of Appetite Creative. I'm really excited for everyone who's here with us today, and a huge welcome to everyone joining us on the webinar. Innovation takes many forms and means different things to different companies. In our last webinar with Tetrapack, we saw how digital adoption has become much more of a necessity for them and how they are using connected experiences through their business and their brands to track changes from sales all the way through to logistics. As lockdowns now are easing, businesses are needing to adapt to their new environments. And when change comes, so does opportunity. And the great thing is we are now starting to see stories of success making their way out from the carnage wrought by COVID-19. It could vary simply from delivering a new sign-up form or a checkout page, the delivery of a whole new business process, or a product that propels a business forward. In this webinar, we have some really exciting viewpoints to bring to you with Nicole Yershon, founder and CEO of NY Collective. She was named one of the drum's 25 women who shaped the digital industry in the last 25 years. Wired Magazine Top 100 best-selling author, for the Rough Diamond. And also we are joined by Phil Livingstone, Global Director of Digital Marketing at The Body Shop and former Head of Digital Marketing, Social Media and Content at British Gas. And finally, Alex Wright joins us, Head of Insights from Bliss. He has spent more than a decade working in research and insight roles across a diverse range of agencies and publishers. And Alex uses this perspective to understand the role that mobile location data can play in marketing communications and he's going to give us some great insights into what the current data is telling us and how we can use this to our advantage. Through this first panel session, we're going to explore how digital adoption has sparked new innovation in businesses up and down the country and what trends can be seen in recent data and how we as brands and businesses can adapt to that. Then we will move to our second part of today's webinar with Global Head of B2B Marketing at HP, Fabiola Stein and Christina Cayo co-founder and managing partner at Camellia Beauty, a panel which I will be joining and will be chaired by Jeremy King, CEO, founder of the Festival of Media and the Eminem Global Awards. That panel will be looking at what brands are doing at this rapidly changing time to understand digital and take advantage of this new landscape. So to kick off our first session, I turn first to you, Lucar. Tell us about the trends you are seeing at the moment. Hello, Jenny, and hi to everyone else and everyone listening. Um, what am I seeing at the moment? I'm seeing a big rise in, in understanding soft skills, that's for sure, with um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand and, um, and how she's showing kind of true leadership. And I think there's two kind of main ingredients of, of that, which is humility and an iron will. Um, and also her communication style has been uh, in incredible. So kind of looking at, at soft skills, it's really kind of come to the forefront. I think there's been um, a, a big kind of push towards exploring more direct to consumer business models. And I'll talk about that um, a little bit later. There's uh, resilience, I think is a really good word of how do we withstand the shock of any future pandemics or, you know, um, anything else that is going to kind of upend the economy and, and, and people's lives. And I think obviously technology is, is such a big player. You've got Zoom that I wish I would have bought shares in Zoom, but Zoom coming about and companies needing to turn around quickly to work from home. 
So I wonder how many people were actually um, kind of working towards that or had it on their offering, but it never actually came about. But it's amazing what a pandemic can do to kind of push you into change rather quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Alex, I mean, Bliss, as I mentioned earlier, is very much a data-driven and focused company. What about data trends? What are the biggest data trends that you're seeing at the moment? Well, from our perspective, I suppose, in an immediate uh, vicinity to our business, is um, there's a lot of interest in location data at the moment. Um, whether that's from brands looking for competitive advantage or to understand what on earth is going on at the moment, or, or even governments are quite interested in it. You know, how can they understand where clusters of people are? Are congregating and, and maybe whether they need to disperse it. But also from a, an economic perspective, what is the return to retail starting to look like? I suppose from a from a research industry perspective, what's been really interesting and, and reassuring is how consistent all the sources have been in, in what they're seeing. I think historically or typically you might have wider divergence between survey response or passively collected data or big data. Um, but but recently, I think because we've all effectively been living in a just a massive social experiment for the last hundred days or so, people's perspectives have actually clustered to a kind of an almost a single version of the truth. Everyone's been almost uniformly affected by this. So there's very little divergence in terms of what people are claiming to experience and behave and what we're actually seeing manifest through our data. Really interesting. Um... And Phil, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of changing during the coronavirus? I mean, how do you think this is going to impact on our lives in the future? Well, uh, good question and uh, good afternoon, everyone. I, I think, you know, it's forced a rethink from both brands and customers how, how, how we interact and how we experience products now. You know, this forced disruption has, has caused lots of change in everyone's households, you know, to be... You know, more creative, more productive in some ways, more organized. Um, it's allowed us to establish new routines that weren't there before. It's helped us connect with friends and family that, that we perhaps hadn't done in a long time. And I guess, you know, if you look at some of the trends we're seeing and experiencing, you know, we're experiencing um, cooking and, and cooking in different ways. Um, where, you know, as a family now, which we never did before, we start to do quizzes every, every week. Um, so it's, it's changed how we're communicating. You know, my, my dad's 78 and then we talk every day by a video link, which we never did before. Um, and it's also forced us to, to shop differently. We're buying more fresh produce, more locally, locally sourced. Um, so it's changing our behavior and it's changing um, how we, you know, interact with brands, I think. You know, during the pandemic, we've witnessed stripping back from brands and how they go to market and explore and communicate their, their products and services. And I think brands themselves have to be really creative because they haven't got those big budget productions and they haven't got the studios anymore. So they've got literally a, a GoPro camera and, a, and an iPhone and they have to film everything from different angles and get the sound right. And we've seen some really, really creative um, ads on, on telly uh, over the last couple of you know, weeks. You know, BT Tech Tips, where they're asking presenters to film themselves. You know, Tesco Love Stories, where, um, you know, they've got their customers to, to film the ads. And more recently, Jamie Oliver's joined in and, and done a bit there. 
Um, so it's forcing brands to be really innovative and um, forced innovation in a short space of time. You know, a special mention needs to go to, to BrewDog, who, you know, by far one of my favorite brands at the moment, um, because they, they've pivoted, you know, from, from producing beer one day to hand sanitizer a few weeks later, which I think is a, you know, huge, um, firstly, hugely impactful from a, a community spirit perspective, but, but secondly, how they were able to diversify from making beer to hand sanitizer in a short space of time. And, you know, that fast track um, that we've seen from many brands, uh, I, I think the coronavirus, the one of the, the positives from that has been it's forced people to rethink their whole entire business strategy in a matter of weeks, um, which has been amazing to see. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, BrewDog is a fantastic example of, of a, a huge pivot. I mean, if you'd asked anybody at BrewDog a year ago if they thought they were going to be producing hand sanitizer, I don't think anybody would have, you know, foreseen that. Um, yeah. It's a fantastic example of yeah. a 360 pivot, really. Yeah, uh, that's right. You know, and then there was the uh, public outcry, Barn Barnard Castle eye test. Um, I don't know if you wanted to delve into a little bit about that one. Yeah, I mean, it just shows you, you know, that they've, they've jumped onto something quite topical within a short space of a couple of days and produced, I mean, really, they've changed the label, but, um, you know, the whole Dominic Cummins, Dominic Cummins saga, uh, able to produce a beer that, that referenced, you know, Barnard Castle, and, and they called it the ITES beer. Um, so, you know, it got a lot of PR value. Um, and it's, it's more poking a bit of fun, it's a bit of creativity rather than innovation, but it just goes to show what, what is able, what people are, what brands are able to achieve um, with hardly anything in a short space of time. Yeah, really, really fast turnarounds, being yeah. able to pick up on something and get something out. And, may, and, and maybe like you said, you know, not caring so much about the, the perfected finished article, but creating something which is a little bit raw um, but definitely does something. It's either on the money because of creativity or certainly innovation with the, with the brew dog. Yeah, that's right. Nicole, I mean, where have you seen um, innovation? What, what have you seen in that sense? Well, I've experienced it firsthand with, you know, being an Amazon Fresh um, user for a very long time and then not being able to get a delivery ever. So then you start looking around and then all of a sudden over a weekend, you have these kind of, you've got these Goliath companies and then you've got these little Davids who are popping up who sell normally just direct to, um, to restaurants and cafes. And obviously those, those places are closed. So then they pivot over a weekend and they've, they've got a website and e-commerce and then you're able to kind of go into something called Farm Drop. And, and they deliver, you know, from local farmers directly to your door. And so I won't be going back to Amazon Fresh. They totally lost me as a customer. There was no uh, loyalty there. And I think you'll start seeing a lot of loyalty with local businesses. I think um, Phil touched on that with local businesses. So I think that's, that's interesting in how they quickly saw an opportunity and, um, and took it. I think there's a, a big um, push on distributed teams, which is basically the guy who runs Basecamp, Matt um, Mullenweg, and he, he's, he doesn't employ anyone or look at their CV or meet them face to face. He calls it distributed teams, but his whole workforce is, is 
working from home, whether they're in Asia or Europe or America. And I think there's going to be a, a really big push towards that. I think there was a recent article with Accenture's CEO where they talk about three years of transformation in just three months. Um, so and that word unprecedented kind of speed due to the, the COVID pandemic and how companies have had to really shift. Companies that didn't have their employees working from home before, didn't have computers, weren't attached to uh, their systems. I mean, the CIOs have had to really kind of dig deep and, um, and work quick. I think it's interesting how you've got the companies like Primark, now they're all back, uh, those kind of non-essential shops. And uh, I think I read that they were losing 650 million a month mm. because they don't have any online ordering. Uh, which I find fascinating. I weren't able to put anything together either. Yeah, I know. That's what I mean by the Davids and Goliath. Sometimes they're just too big to, to uh, with processes and not able to to change that quickly. So they're, they're the kind of the few places that I've seen um, innovation coming through. Sure, sure, absolutely. And I think Phil, it's amazing how some of these changes um, that we've seen that we've talked about. Um, but there are lots of new things still happening as well. What are the new pivots um, that companies need to consider? Well, I, I think in terms of new pivots, you know, customer experience, it's not a new thing, but I think people are paying more and more attention to it now. You know, they need to get that right to, to, to get customers to buy. They're paying more attention to distribution and logistics to make sure they can ship the products and get, you know, partner up with people who can get the, the product to customers. And also improve their loyalty schemes to, to drive repeat purchase. So it's, it's all right having one sale, but you want to bring in repeat purchase and therefore collect loads of data in the end. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think being, being proactive, being able to think how do we adapt, um, how do we actually do something is, is obviously what, you know, Nicole just mentioned as well. You know, Primark obviously haven't been able to do. Um, Nicole, what do you think brands should be doing? What should they be looking at? Um, I think they should be aware of their competition much more. Um, and, you know, I would say this because I'm in um, disruption and, and innovating within very large organisations and trying to get them to change where they say, oh, yes, we really want change, uh, but they don't really want change because it, it's hard work. COVID has insisted, obviously, that everyone has had to. So I think they need to pay attention to the smaller companies that are coming through. Um, what advice would I give to brands? I'd, I'd, I'd say that they need to stay authentic. Uh, there was a, a thing in the, with the IPA with um, that BAME employees have gone, uh, numbers have gone down. And that's with everyone shouting, uh, you know, we need to Black Lives Matter. And, but actually within that industry, they've uh they've, they've in the they haven't even managed to employ that many and so their diversity and inclusion programs don't seem to be working so i think they need to be making sure that they're um although actually wpp this morning i read have just put 30 million into to fund an internal inclusion program uh which is amazing so i think actions need to be taken i think they need to be useful i think phil mentioned that um, so I, it was really good seeing online courses being developed and being given away for free at all of the top um, global universities like Harvard and MIT and there have been some amazing stuff where people can be useful, uh, brands can be useful, be empathetic, 
So you mentioned brew dog, but Louis Vuitton as well. We're also making hand sanitizers at the, you know, pretty much they were the first out of the block. Yeah. Um, so they were kind of useful and, and empathetic prep have been very, very empathetic in, in feeding people and then knocking 50% off the prices for frontline um, workers. So there's, there's, and I really love the people power stuff that um, Marcus Rushford or even uh, Captain Tom or Sir Tom have been able to push in brand, actually doing more than just brands and doing more than politicians and doing more than businesses and pushing that people power so that we are affecting change and not even waiting necessarily for the brand to do it. Definitely. And I think what you're talking there about being kind of a little bit more conscious of what you stand for, um, more conscious of sustainability. I think, you know, COVID has really put sustainability in, in front and centre of people's minds as well. One of the, you know, most positive things, of course, from, from COVID was the fact that, you know, China were, were able to see each other and, and, and not be, you know, through a, through a facade of, of smoke and pollution, you know. So I think sustainability standing for something is much more important now um, to consumers um, and, and kind of looking at what they're actually standing for and doing something about it rather than just talking about it, right? Mm. Um, what are you seeing, Alex, in terms of, of, of trends from the data? What are, what are people doing? What, what can you see? There's a, there's a few interesting bits, and uh, Phil mentioned it, Nicole's mentioned it uh, in a slightly different way. There's this uh, decentralization, I suppose, of, li of living in a number of ways. So it's like a donut existence, like people who would have previously almost tidily swept in and out of a city centre five days a week have not been doing that. Mm. Um, so we've seen that kind of the, the proportion of those who pre-COVID, if we're looking back to, to February in most European markets, the proportion of those who've been visiting kind of CBD districts has, has really gone down. So they've stayed in more local communities, often commute about kind of areas. But I think like Nicole mentioned, she's um, defected from being an Amazon Fresh customer. Yeah. I think it remains to be seen whether it's a long-term trend or not, but sort of local markets, local butchers, green grocers, that kind of thing. You get your heavy items and non-perishables from one retailer and your fresh stuff from another, especially mm. if the trend towards distributed workforces or, or working at home continues and people have the time uh, and it is more convenient to shop locally to them. I think that would be an interesting one to watch. Um, Another broad theme, a couple of broad things we've, we've seen play out consistently, almost regardless of sector and regardless of market, is um, the dead cat bounce, um, which is, yes, I've had to squint a few times on this one. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, where I suppose the, the etymology is that even a dead cat will bounce once. So when we've seen a hint of return, so when... Um, it's too soon to say what we're seeing in the UK is the case, but in Italy, we've seen it. In the UAE, we've seen it. In certain categories, we've seen it in the US, is that when sectors of retail or certain activities like being able to use public transport more widely are opened up to the public again, there is a burst of activity back towards it. But then a period of reset again. And I think if we look at this, this whole pandemic with a historical view, 
if we, you know, 10 years time we look back at it, it might look like a V shape in terms of recovery. You know, we dropped off a cliff edge, we barely flopped into the, the pool and we've, you know, leapt out again. But what, when we're in it, I think what we're going to see is a series of two steps forward, one step back as various restrictions lift. There's an easing of caution um, with some of the people who are experiencing that. We almost, almost view it as um, the same how the adoption curve with technology might work. What we're seeing in terms of active in new sectors that open the back up again are the early adopters, the people dipping their toes in the water and testing it out for everyone else. If there are no significant ill effects, then more people adopt it and it starts becoming mainstream again. So we end up with this kind of sigmoid upward curve of behavioural adoption again. So at the moment, you're finding that people are still not, even though they're able to, people are still not really going into their offices, people are still kind of staying where, where they are, and therefore their movement is very limited to, to where they reside. To, to an extent, yes. For most groups, that appears to be what's happening. So we, we have seen big spikes in return to retail. Um, at the very onset of the, the crisis, looking at the UK, Italy, US, other markets, there's a spike in retail behaviour. People were panic buying. It was a real regression down the hierarchy of needs. People were just kind of, I'm going to sort myself out, make sure I'm fed. Um, as people settled into a bit of a holding pattern of behaviour, I think, we maybe started escalating a couple of steps. People were, were baking. They were binge watching. So there's certain services and comforts they were kind of residing in. Also boozing. Like it's not great news for the pubs, but the, the off-trade sector has, has certainly had a, a much better time of it. It remains to be seen whether, whether the pubs can almost pick up where they left off in that regard. So I think maybe it's, it's an industry curse a little bit, I think, to view everything as a, an either-or. Um, but for a you know, for, for a few months, the needle was definitely tipped absolutely in one direction. I don't think it's a case of it swinging all the way back when things start to lift. We'll, we'll find a new balance, not a new normal, but a new, a new balance between holding on to what we did before, because inherently our wiring hasn't changed. The things we like doing before, we probably still like. The things that we identify with as people, we still like. But there is going to be a degree of caution that remains, I think. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's going to come up later or not, but um, one of the industries obviously hardest hit is, is travel. And what we're seeing even, we, we've kind of since the start treated public transport as the canary in the coal mine to an extent. If people are willing to get back on tin cans with a dozen other people in you know, confined spaces, that is a very obvious sign that there is less caution about intermingling. But... We're seeing this, or will we, we predict we'll be seeing a step up in domestic travel. You know, last, uh, the, since, since the start of the outbreak, we've all been trying to find precedents for this. A lot of them have gone back to either the flu epidemic from 100 years ago or the global financial crisis from about 10 years ago. We started in a health crisis. Even the news coverage now, though, has shifted away from it being a health crisis and into a financial one. So it's both of those aspects we're going to have to balance. And, we're seeing manifest in our data through the retailers people are visiting and the frequency and cadence they're visiting them in. A consumer is emerging from this that is price conscious and health conscious, like leveraging some of the sustainable behaviours that were mentioned earlier as well. 
So it's, it's possible that we actually have made changes forever. Um, so Phil, if, if retail has changed forever in some way and consumers have, have shifted and talked about different ways where we're buying, different ways that we're um, behaving, how are brands going to engage with their new audience? I think first and foremost, I don't think marketing has changed. I think the, the basics and fundamentals and foundations of marketing are still there. You know, you have a great product or a service at the right price targeted to the right person. And, you know, that will continue to be so. I think that is the best way um, to market. Um, I think the key differentiators will be and the battleground, therefore, will be brand loyalty. And, and you know, again, coming back to distribution and logistics. You know, lots of companies have found it really, really hard to get their product to the end consumer at any one point. And I think we've seen lots of innovation there around distribution, around delivery options, around delivery times. You know, perhaps, you know, Amazon set the bar, you know, next day delivery. Well, now maybe, just maybe, you know, we're, we're quite happy to wait two or three days. You know, that bar has been reached, but because of the pandemic, we've sort of regressed slightly um, accepting that the delivery will take slightly longer and perhaps you have to go somewhere to pick it up if you want it any sooner so that that's quite interesting but I think brands that you know brands that show humility that that word has been mentioned once before um, and demonstrate that they understand people and what people are going through I think I think will come out on top I think they'll win hearts and minds and um, and share of wallet I, you know, the messaging may be different and the creative may be different for the reasons that we've said before. You know, there's no big production behind it anymore. But the, the core message is still there from, from those interesting brands that, that continue to um, advertise throughout the pandemic. You know, lots of, lots of companies have gone dark and, and pulled their advertising. Um, but there's been some interesting ones who, who've, who've stayed on. And, you know, not to come across as try to profiteer from, you know, what's been happening but um, showing what they're doing to support, you know, sustainability programs or um, demonstrate what products they've given to the NHS, for example, or a donation perhaps they've made. So I think brands will, will adapt uh, and come out the stronger as a result. Definitely, definitely. Nicole, what's your advice to brands? What do you think they should be doing? Well, I mean, again, with, with the very similar to, to what Phil was saying, the proactivity on sustainability, I, I think we're not stupid as customers now. And I think marketing is still very important, but it has been in a silo. And I think they haven't understood all of the other impacts. An example would be Dove um, shampoo bottle. And we now as customers want to know, well, where's that shampoo from then? Where's that bottle from? Is it plastic? How are you as a company, Unilever, treating your employees? Do you have women on the board? How is your supply chain? Are you, do you have human, do you have slaves? You know, looking back at the UN's SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, I think if marketing stays within a silo like that and not understanding the business as a whole, I think there'll be, um, in, uh, there'll be a real problem. So I think that's why you're seeing the likes of the Accentures or the Deloitte's or buying, you know, they, they have that understanding of a business in totality. So I think they need to be very understanding of um, 
social enterprise there was that big you know ceos meeting wasn't there the round table where they said we'll need to move away from just having um the only measure of success being financial and we're going to need to start to have other measures for success i mean patagonia are a really good um kind of force in 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 that space so i think they need to start and, and it's been good with covid because we've been you know there's lots of positives um that I, I read something there's eight different positives that people have actually said about covid um that they will continue on but i so i think they need to look at the um sustainable development goals and i think they look need to look at companies that are doing it well not just marketing but in totality uh, within their business and i think they need to ask them um, critical questions and listen and not try and solve the wrong problem really well mm, absolutely absolutely there's a lot there um thank you thank you nicole thank you phil thank you alex um very much for some very varied viewpoints um some compelling data and obviously some interesting uh, case studies and advice i think we can all take something from i'm now going to move on to our second part of the webinar uh, Jeremy King is uh, going to chair that for us, CEO of Festival of Media, and with him, our guests, Fabio Lestein, Global Head of B2B Marketing at HP, and Christina Kao, co-founder and managing partner at Camellia Beauty. Over to you, Jeremy. Thank you very much, Jenny. Uh, wonderful. What a, what a great session, first of all. I think it was brilliant and segues beautifully into what we're going to try and achieve here. Uh, rather than Jenny asking the questions, we are going to uh, tap into her mind as well. And, and I think some really valid points from our, from our panellists just now in terms of what brands are doing. So we thought that we'd uh, delve a bit deeper and, and, and bring on a couple of brands and also Jenny from a, from a creative shop perspective as well. Um, she's done all the hard work for me, which was the introduction. So I don't have to worry about saying anyone's names wrong or, uh, or getting anything messed up there, which, it, which is wonderful. But I think a um, really good place to start for us. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start with you, Christina and Fabiola, just so Jenny can have a glass of water and uh, get herself prepared for some questions in a moment. But um, it, it's been obviously an interesting um, first year of the new decade. We're in this pandemic. Um, I suppose one of the, the best places to start, you, you've both got interesting stories, you know, from Camilla Beauty to HP and, and how you've reacted to this pandemic. And I know, Christina, we were talking earlier in the week about some of the uh, changes that you've seen happen. So I suppose the best place to start is kind of, you know, what was the, your, your business's first kind of reaction and, and the challenges that suddenly popped up? What, what was the first thing that you, you thought and, and the biggest challenge you suddenly faced? Um, well, for us, um, we have a consumer nail brand, and um, I would say right in the beginning, we lost a big chunk of retail orders. We had purchase orders that were ready to ship. We work with um, offline retailers like Sephora in France, Ulta in the U.S., and um, a lot of inventory that we thought we were going to sell through and, and make money on that we then thought, okay, this is going to be sitting in stock for several months. Um, suddenly, there was a lift on the e-commerce side. Not what we expected, but um, things started to pick up. And I think from there, we saw the shift, which became very interesting. Yeah. And, and, and Fabiola, you're obviously on the, on the B2B side, but obviously with a brand like HP, yes. I'm presuming, you know, we talked about uh, supply chain. Phil talked about supply chain and logistics. That must have been that havoc for you guys as well, particularly, I'm sure, as, as most of HP's parts are from different parts of the world as well. Um, well, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I'll use the word havoc. Um, it, you know, we, we are, um, we're, you know, 
really big brand with a lot of supply chain processes. So I think that worked in our favor. So HP, you know, 59 billion uh, per year uh, revenue brand, right? So we need to get our, <laughs> we need to have our stuff in order. Um, there the was, the, the was a really big shift, right? Because um, from a B2B, but also from a consumer, and then the, the blurring of the lines between consumer and commercial, um, offices close, right? So all of um, our commercial customers and the equipment that we provide for offices um, suddenly um, stop. But at the same time, we had a, a really big shift in demand for um, working from home. So you had um, a change in, in all of us. And I think, you know, we're, we're still here working from home. And big enterprises, our big customers needed to equip um, their workforce. So, you know, PCs, monitors, this whole new life on the screen, you know, you, you go from commuting to working from home. And then our customers who are parents, are like parents with kids, right? You go from, you know, taking your kills uh, kids to a school and Jeremy you and I were talking about these uh, earlier this week as well to hey we just need to sit around the table now and and do some some online uh, homework and a study so that was really interesting for us yeah yeah and, and Jenny from a client perspective obviously you're dealing with different clients around the world have you seen a kind of a change what was the the, the first thing your clients had said to you from a from a creative point you'd like to think that people want to be a bit more creative now, very different in what they're trying to achieve from a digital perspective. What are, what are some of the, the, the key insights you first saw? I think initially everybody just kind of went into panic and uh, pause mode, oh my God, what's happening? Uh, we don't want to do anything wrong. Um, so there was this, this kind of dark <clears throat> air beginning where you know for the first two, three weeks, no one really wanted to dare to do anything. Um, and then it was more about how can we actually be creative and, and actually use our messaging? How can we come up with some ideas that actually help people? And, you know, some of those things was turning um, some events onto online events. Some of that was turning uh, creative with a slightly different messaging to it. And then trying to think, how can we be clever around this? So, you know, it took some time. It took about two or three weeks, maybe a little bit longer for some other brands. Um, and then it was really about, okay, how can we actually change and, and create something which links the two things together? Brilliant. And, and some of the things that you, you all noticed in that kind of first few weeks, are there, are there some key things that you've kind of, that you've kept in place that you implemented in those first few weeks? Have you discarded some things? How has it kind of changed as we've kind of slowly developed into kind of working from home and this, this whole new environment? What, what are kind of, you know, what's the difference if there has been? I mean, it might be that some of the things you implemented at the start, you're still thinking, yep, that worked brilliantly, we'll continue that. How, how has that evolved? Who would like to go first? I, I can go first if that's okay. <laughs> that was like a, there was a lot that happened. So um, I can think of a couple of examples. So one one of them was, um, and I think it was Phil or Alex that were talking about this earlier. Um, do you know? It, marketing being in in touch really with breaking the silos right and, and the barriers breaking down barriers and being really connected to um the products and solutions teams and the, the sales team so um we you know we started to collaborate in different work streams like i was leading and i'm still leading so that that stays 
the remote workforce, right? What does that mean now and in the future? And then how do we connect that with, with the consumer behavior? So that's really, that's been really interesting, right? So play, play from home, learn from home, uh, work from home. So how do we connect all of those uh, pieces as an overall brand? As you can imagine, like each of our business units is really, really large. So that was a good, um, that was a good example on how we came together as a company and that that process that we went through was painful but we continue to do that today um and then the the other piece which you know we've um, we've always um, done these you know large companies um you know we have specialist departments that look at insights with the research um, and i think what this has shown is is the importance of being really close to your customers and um, so if you were not doing that before you know if you go through resellers or partners or you know retail and you're not in touch with your customers um, I think you really felt that in this in this crisis so um, really understanding not from a company centric perspective but being like really leaving the value of being a customer first customer centric um, company so th those are two things I think that were that were like some pretty big lessons and, and Christina, sure, you, from your perspective, being customer first, that must be kind of one of the, the, the key priorities. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, pre-COVID, one of the big sort of goals for our marketing team this year, I mean, we're an indie beauty brand, was we have to build our community. I mean, in 2020, you cannot be a consumer brand if you don't have, you know, a large following that is loyal to you, that is going to champion your brand. Um, that was one of the goals. I think right when COVID hit, a lot of our team was either on furlough or had time off. So what we did immediately was I actually got very involved with the social, which I wasn't that involved with uh, the social media prior and was very, very close with the Instagram with a couple of the members of our team. And I think what we saw with that was um, we just got really granular and like Fabiola was saying, very, very close to the consumer and understanding how they were feeding back, what they were going through, what they were experiencing. And um, it became a real step up for the team to put out content that was more engaging, that was going to um, demonstrate that we could feel what they were going through, um, but also provide them things that allow them to creatively express themselves while they're stuck at home or you know, in a moment that maybe they're low. Um, so that was something that I think with the very, um, getting really close to the consumer through social and Instagram um, is something that we're gonna, you know, we've continued to do that and now have, now the full team is back you know, working and we're building the team. And now we see that it's really important to continue to maintain that and have a lot of the members of our team able to um, go on camera, talk to people. You know, we want people to see who are the members of the team so that we're authentic and they can see that the brand is, the brand has its personality, but it's powered by real people behind the scenes, you know, that they've been actually seeing on camera, you know, in their homes, like as we film content and as we're connecting with them. And, and that's really interesting, Jenny. Have you have you had many of the clients coming to you? I, I love what Christina's saying there about actually starting to engage. Fabiola mentioned it as well, being that customer first. Have you seen that's what's become a, a, a real trend with people you've been speaking to? Definitely, definitely around customer first and, and looking for new data points and being able to use those data points to then optimize their, their messaging. But a massive, uh, rise in, in requests for social media and, and importance. And I think that's what Christina was saying. She was actually personally getting involved with that, whereas it had kind of been left behind before. Um, 
brands then kind of really realizing that social media, I mean, social media, I think the audience tripled, right? Because people are sitting at home and have got nothing to do but be on their social, right? So, you know, being able to use that channel and being able to understand that channel, a lot more interest in that, um, training for social media, we got loads of requests for that. Um, being able to really concentrate on that. So we had lots of different um, requests for how do we engage, how do we increase, instead of just doing the normal um, standard things that we'd be doing on social. So that was huge. But then also, interestingly, we launched two brands that um, initially in the first three weeks, like I said, where it was kind of a no-no. Oh no, we're not gonna launch, we're gonna, we're gonna delay. And actually we found a way to be able to um, look at the fact that audience was at home. So one of those brands is actually, um, and it's called Abling, which is a platform that connects um, seriously or terminally ill people with people who want to have something to give. So it might be five minutes of your time to read a story to somebody who's got you know, no, no contact with somebody, or it might be that you have a, a plane, a private jet, and you actually want to be able to take somebody out and give them, you know, tick something off on their bucket list. And they were originally not wanting to launch because of course everybody was in uh, pandemic mode and crisis and all that type of thing. But actually we found a way to be able to pivot that and to be able to say, actually, you could give something back. You could donate to NHS staff, you could actually use your time um, to actually help people who, who might be very, very isolated and might you know, be in self-isolation, but not have any family members around them and not have anyone just to have a speak, you know, a conversation with. And so we found a way that actually it made sense for that brand to launch. Um, and then similarly, another app that we're launching um, really needs actors' voices. And at the moment, actors are out of work. And so actually them being able to get involved in this project actually makes sense as well. So it was really interesting where projects where we thought, oh, goodness me, this is going to be a massive crisis where nothing's going to be able to launch. Um, we've actually found ways to be able to make use of that and find advantages for the brands. Which is really interesting and some of the stuff that some of the brands have done and I know that um, Phil mentioned earlier about BrewDog, some of the things they were doing, obviously L'Oreal, LVMH, we're all doing different things in, in that space. Um, Fabiola and Christina, is that uh, in terms of a social and a, a community element, is that something that I'm sure both of your, your brands had before, but is it something that's also risen to the, to the fore over the last kind of three or, three or four months? Uh, yeah, I mean that definitely for HP. Um, we've we've always been really involved in communities. So I, I think like the first response that we had as a brand was uh, in regarding to the to the community. Um, a company, you know, a company is a community internally, but it's also a platform uh, to help and 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 to serve. And I think you know when we're talking about a brand like um, HP, you know, iconic uh, for one of the first ones in Silicon Valley, that also comes with a lot of responsibility. And um, and people um, and consumers, um, you know, they, they are demanding more accountability from you know big um, big companies and, and big corporations. So, a couple of things that HP did was, um, you know, we we have our three D printing um, business unit. Um, so that was put to work as well to good use to producing and three D printing masks and for the healthcare sector. Um, and also, you know, from from an education perspective and you know the quality for the right of education, um, we also donated you know equipment and um, laptops monitors and so on to to communities that needed that so definitely there is a big role and responsibility i think uh, for companies um, to help and serve communities and have you have you been kind of noticing and doing something similar christina from from your perspective in terms of helping yeah. I think um, we started probably we were more on the entertainment side of it. So in the very early days, you probably saw like just all the brands and all the influencers were doing Instagram live together. And it was just taking up that top part of your IG you know, account. And we actually saw 
you know, we have a consumer nail brand. So we saw Miley Cyrus do a live with her you know, celebrity nail technician. And they basically were painting together, teaching, you know, it was a bit educational, but it was really fun. And you saw Miley, you know, in her home. And we took that and we thought, we need to be doing this kind of thing. We need to be partnering with um, nail artists or influencers or nail technicians as the brand, um, you know, large and small to be creating content that's educational, but also entertaining and um, allowing people to have that at home, you know, it was really big about at home self-care, at home entertainment, beauty entertainment, and people were looking for things to occupy their time and express themselves. So, um, whereas we didn't really do lives before, we started to do one to two a week, um, you know, and have that on Instagram with designs and things that they can learn and then translate those things into tutorials that then live on IGTV or on the feed or, you know, on YouTube. Um, so that's been really interesting for us. I think um, from the entertainment angle um, and then, you know, from COVID into sort of, you know, the, the moment with the Black Lives Matter that has, you know, come, um, we have found that beyond um, building the community, which is really the thing that is the most powerful thing I think a brand can have today is while you're doing that now through these major things that have happened in the world, especially visible on social media in the past three months, we're seeing that not only do we need to keep talking authentically and transparently to the community, but as a brand, you're not just a business anymore where you can step outside of certain conversations. And we really see that with Black Lives Matter. Like, consumers and, and everybody are demanding that brands have a voice in this, express themselves. It's not okay to not comment on it. Um, and we have found that it's really important for us, you know, we'd never really participated in this kind of thing before. Um, what would we say? Like, what would be, um, what should we say? What can we say or not say? Um, and we found that by participating in the conversation, the consumers will believe in you more and they will champion you more as a brand. And I think Phil mentioned before, like they will, like if you demonstrate that you, that, that you understand them and what they're going through, you're going to win their hearts and minds. So that's something that we are, I mean, we, we are learning as we go, but we felt that, you know, it's not okay just as a business anymore to be outside of certain conversations. Like you need to be in every conversation because with social and technology, these things are dominating everyone's you know 24 7. yeah and i think that's really important and i know that the panel before mentioned authenticity nicole talked about authenticity and the fact that brands have to do that and i suppose the biggest challenge there christina trying to to, to mind make sure you're in the right conversations and you do the right thing about such sensitive matters how, how you know how, how do, what's your how do you work out where and when you you comment and what you comment on I think it's about the, you know, I think the for an indie brand, the founder being front and center and, and the founder and the brand personality are very linked. So I think it does, and I, I didn't do that so much before. I was more behind the scenes, but we see that that's important. And so I think a lot of it is the authenticity of what I believe in, what I want to express. Um, and, you know, that I am aware of what's going on, but also like lead my brand into the conversation in a way that is appropriate for us. And, um, you know, we want to be sort of, you know, we said this on our, on our Instagram, we want to be on the side of what's right in this world. And I think, you know, we didn't want to make a huge political statement, but I think we wanted to appear online, communicate directly with the audience. I mean, they've been seeing me for two months filming content in my living room. And I think now at this moment, they need to also hear 
what is your opinion on what's happening in this world? So, um, you know, we wanted to be, um, or I wanted to be true and also vulnerable because I think a lot of people were expressing their vulnerability at this time. Um, and I think that's, we, we did what was right for us, you know, and I think um, also now as we build our social media plans going forward, we need to include all of these things, you know, um, in a way that's appropriate for us. So for example, you know, we were not in a position where we would say, okay, let's just donate all our profits to XYZ. But what can we do as a brand? You know, um, we said, okay, well, we definitely need more people of color. Like we have nail products, we show hands, we definitely need more people of color. We reached out to um, nail technicians that we've worked with prior in different countries who were people of color, who actually we knew were actually out of work because their nail technicians and salons are closed. And now we're talk talking to these people to help produce content for us and shoot nail tutorials that we can then use and help to give visibility to them, give them work and you know help to lift up what's happening. Um, so I think it's just finding things that are authentic to your brand that I think as the founder, you feel is the right way to go is how we've been approaching it. No, I, I, I like that. I mean, I think it's, I think it's brilliant and it kind of moves nicely into the piece. You, you all mentioned it earlier and about mindset. So Christina, you've got more involved in the, in the social aspect. Um, Fabiola, you talk about, you know, becoming more of a community internally and bringing all those people together. How does, how hard has it been to change the mindsets and get people within the companies thinking in different ways around how they now operate in this kind of post and, and during COVID world? So who's that for, Jeremy? Start with that, So, you know, you have to come, whether you're you're driving change internally or whether you're driving change in the industry, it has to come from a place of empathy. You know, one one of the things that that we know. Um, is you know one of the data points is like you know over 50 percent of the people were feeling were feeling extremely anxious even about imagining about the future so when we talk about these people it's not it's not just the customers it's the people that were like we the humans right that make up the the, the community and the big brands who's so been really aware of that and and how we're all in different stages through the crisis so jenny was talking about earlier in terms of hey you know I, i'm in panic now not jenny you know personally you know but a lot of brands and and customers you know i'm in panic mode now and then how you're moving into the adapting and then how you're moving into the rebuilding and i think the same applies you know, as an individual, that in the beginning, you're like in, in crisis mode and you, and you move through those stages at different speed or different um, velocity. So it, it was, it, I think it was more about, rather than hard, it was more about um, having a, an understanding and empathy that we all handle change and crisis in very different ways. Um, and that includes, um, and that includes our customers. We we had a few surprises. I know I had a few surprises. Um, you know, for example, um, where where we started uh, doing a lot of inspiring and education content and shifting a lot of our dollars there, to to address, you know, the hey, you know, I'm on panic mode. What do I need to do? Help me with this. Um, to how quickly actually people and brands and customers move to the adapting. So a, a, a lot of um, customers and people are now in the adapting and even thinking about rebuilding. So you move from, from inspiration and education very quickly to the solution. What do I need to solve for this problem rather than a longer journey journey um, time? So I think from, from our perspective is that like the empathy, the kindness and understanding will work through change differently. 
And, and Jenny, have you, have you seen a, a change in the clients that have come to you in terms of the skill sets they require or the, the parts of the business that they, they need extra help on uh, over the last kind of few months? I think it's, it's definitely been um, looking at those two things, the, the data, making sure it's more customer centric, making sure that they're being able to see what their um, customers are feeling and, and doing, and then social, so building, building community. Um, you know, we worked with um, Little Piglet's Pantry, who um, really grew from 1,000 followers to 14,000 followers in the last few weeks um, during this time. So again, it's kind of that, that, that focus and being able to, to look at data and, and, and social, really. And I suppose, I suppose one of the key things as we're, we're talking around innovation and the things that we've been doing and how we've been changing things, what, from, from each of you, it'll be really interesting uh, to understand the, the kind of most, I suppose, innovative or strategic piece of uh, thinking that your businesses have implemented over the, over the, over the period of COVID and whether the, that piece of innovation you think will, will stay with us going forward and post-COVID. Who would like to go first? Christina? Um, I was thinking about this question. I don't know if there was one particular thing that was innovative. I think, you know, we were, we were not a, I would, I would say we were not a digitally driven business pre COVID. We had a heavy amount of retail and wholesale business and the team was structured around that. Um, I think COVID like being locked down and, and for me personally, like getting really close to the, the consumer and the social media aspect of it. Um, and then we see the lift in the e-commerce sales and the web sales, it translated to, and actually I had this conversation with Fabiola because I told her at the beginning of COVID, I said, you know, we are slowing down because it's getting quiet. We're worried about the risk. We don't know what's going to happen. But as soon as we started seeing the e-commerce lift of sales, and then some of our retailers, like online retailers, they started ordering just a lot of product because they were ramping up their um, online channels. And then they were even forecasting out um, sales, you know, sales forecasts into Q3 and Q4, that we saw the, these trends that were happening online. And then Fabiola told me, she's like, you need to double down, like build your marketing team, like build your, dig your digital marketing team. Don't slow down right now. And I, I guess like for me, the main learning through COVID was, um, you know, there, like I call it like the COVID momentum that we have been experiencing. Like we need to ride the COVID momentum the wave that we have had with us. And whereas before, you know, with marketing dollars, you're, you're always a bit afraid, like, should I invest in this or that if I haven't, you know, seen it prove itself before? We're finding now that we can try things and whatever we're investing in for marketing, there's return across a lot of the activities that we're doing. So we can be bolder and braver about the things we want to try. And actually we hired a marketing director who started during COVID working from home because we wanted to expand on the digital marketing side and to um, just feed and fuel that growth all the way through to the end of the year and, and hopefully into the next year. And, and, and Fabiola, from, from yourself, what, what's the, the key piece yeah. think that uh, you, has really made a difference? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to talk about the B2B space rather than the, the overall brand. So from, you know, from B2B, and I think it's across the industry, right? You have a higher reliance on um, touching the customers, especially, you know, I, I work with big accounts. So engaging with C-suite and senior decision makers, there's a lot of um, experiences that you do offline, right? Um, and I know you work in events, um, right? So that, that there's 
you know, that experience that, that you create that we as humans think, okay, you cannot replace that, you know, through virtual. Um, and I think one, one of the, one of the biggest things that we have done is to reimagine and, and we have been working with partners as well and agencies. How do we reimagine that? Not necessarily translate the same things that we were doing um, in, in the offline space, um, but um, how can we reimagine those, those, those virtual experiences um, to provide and, and help our customers in their decision making? Um, and then I think the other one is around advertising. So we, we have an in-house uh, team that can do live updates on advertising. And I think in the panel before, they were talking about how many brands shied away during uh, COVID-19 to, to advertise. Um, so for us, it was about putting the, the, you know, the right measures to protect the brand, but also participate. We didn't pull all of our spend um, uh, because there, there are areas where we do want to show up, right? Like work from home, learn from home, um, the remote workforce. So those are two things from a B2B perspective that you know, we have done and will continue to do. Brilliant. And as per normal, and I didn't tell Jenny this before, for every time I do one of these, I always overrun. So I have had the uh, the flag in that I'm uh, I were overrun. But I have I do have one question. I promise uh, I will make sure that it's very quick. It's just if you if the industry has to take one lesson from this experience, if media and marketing has to take one lesson from COVID, what what should it be? <laughs> Who would like to go first? Jenny, have you got one on that? <laughs> Don't be scared of change. Don't be scared of change. Don't be scared of change. I like that. Fabiola? Uh, I stay always very close to your customer. And Christina? Um, I would say the brand is a person more than ever. It's not just a business and, and being authentic with that. Marvellous. Thank, thank you very much, guys. Um, I'm a bit disappointed with the audience. I'm looking on my Q&A panel and I can't see any questions. I'm, I'm always I'm upset about that when we don't have any questions. But um, if you do have any, um, Jenny, let Jenny know because I'm sure she will uh, pass them on to our panellists. But um, again, I want to say thank you very much to Christina, Fabiola and Jenny and to the previous panellists. And I'm not going to steal Jenny's limelight because this is her gig. But uh, <laughs> Jenny, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, of course. Thank you to everyone who's joined us. Thank you to the, to the uh, first panel, Nicole, Alex and uh, Phil as well. Thank you very much to everyone who joined. It will be available on YouTube and it will also be available on our podcast, The Talking Giraffe. And we look forward to seeing you all on our next one. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.